1: Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show as we head into Hour 3. Delight to do so as we do most Wednesdays with Congressman John Shattuck. Congressman Shattuck represented the old Arizona 4th Congressional District for many years, 16 years, uh, part of the Gingrich uh, Revolution in 1994. He is now the head of Shattuck Associates. John, welcome back. Good to see you, man. Great to be here. We did a little history last week, actually, that I wish you were here for. I think it was on Thursday, so we had just missed you. It would have been fun history, but I was reading from your daddy's book, Whatever Happened to Goldwater, Right. Uh, and uh, the, I, I have a signed copy. Hey, young David, do you have the copy of the Goldwater book? You do? Bring it in and show, show, show the author's son. <laughs> It'd be fun. Bring it on in. I was in error in having forgotten it at home today. Oh, you left it at home. Uh-oh. Yes, I do have it at home. Well, that's no help to anyone. Well, I can't ever read you during the Don't get a cup for that. That's a demerit. Speaking of demerits, I want to talk to you about some. I could have brought a copy. Uh, well, we ha- I have a signed copy. I picked it up at a bookstore. so far, You will enjoy this, John. We'll have it for you next week. But I, um, I, it was last Thursday we did the anniversary of the Time for Choosing speech. Uh-huh. And your dad does a, renders a nice history, an interesting history. It almost wasn't made. That speech almost was not delivered, you may recall. And uh, I don't know if you recall watching it in uh, 1964. It was broadcast on NBC. You do remember? Well, he was, uh, your dad was not pulling any punches. It was kind of an interesting thing about, and this happens in every campaign, you get the hand ringers, you know? I don't know if this is a good idea. I don't know if we should do it. And the hand ringers mostly were from Arizona. We don't need to raise their names. You know who they were. (laughs) But Barry Goldwater called Ronald Reagan and said, I think we should not do it. And Reagan said, this is all in your daddy's book. Reagan said, uh, to Barry Goldwater. He said, well, have you read the speech? Because I think it's pretty good, and I'll do whatever you want. And Goldwater said, I haven't read it. Uh, And then Reagan never heard back, which he took to mean green light. (laughs) So, And it turned out to be the most effective fundraising uh, pitch. Um, The RNC made copies of it, sent it around, and uh, I didn't realize any of that. But uh, I also didn't realize it almost didn't get made. Well, it it
2: has gained a lot of fame in the years that have gone by.
1: Yeah. Well, you think about speeches that change the world. There's not a lot. There's no. a handful. You know, Lincoln probably gets one or two. Churchill gets one or two. Probably put the Sermon Churchill. on the Mount up there. Ch- yeah. Sermon on
2: the Mount fits. Yeah,
1: okay. <laughs>
2: Churchill might get more than two.
1: Okay, Churchill might get more than two. But you do, you think about a few speeches that changed the world. That one did. It changed the world because it made him plausible candidate for governor and then obviously president, president. right? Which yep. obviously changed the world.
2: His presidency... He wasn't changed. much of a hand-wringer, though.
1: No, 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 he was not the hand-wringer. And your daddy wasn't. No. You know, your daddy, he didn't he didn't put himself in here, but it was pretty clear he was pro-the-speech. <laughs> You're nodding, people. People should see John's nodding. And we played excerpts of it, and what's fun about the excerpts is people were writing in saying they forgot how strong uh, Ronald Reagan's voice was and you know, we have this memory of him as kind of a grandfatherly, right soft spoken, velvet uh avuncular, I think is the word that would be right. And he was for many, many years a very staccato stentorian speaker. He was. He was very strong in his
2: beliefs. Yeah. And you know, he you know sold lots of ideas. Yeah. And you've got to be pretty certain of yourself if you're selling ideas. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, Anyway, it would have been uh, fun to have you here, Um, and it would have been fun if David would have brought in the book that I loaned to him. But, um, (laughs) you know, I show you the times. We live in fallen times, John Shattuck. Speaking of fallen times, fallen members of Congress, maybe not. There are these uh, new calls for censure. There's a call for expulsion. Uh, of George Santos, the New York Republican. I'm pro that, by the way. I'm in favor of that. I don't know where you are. I just think he's a blight on our party. And I understand we lose this seat temporarily until the next election. But I, I, I think he's a mockery. Um, I think
2: conduct deserves consequences. Yeah, I, I think and, so. and I think if we say that and then don't do it, yeah. uh, it causes chaos. It, it also makes the our sen- yeah. inconsistency and proves we are, quote unquote, politicians everything that people think of us
1: Uh, well right and i think that it also gives us more credence to engage in a censure resolution which is not as bad as expulsion a censure resolution is just a majority vote um by the house of representatives as far as i can tell and uh expulsion takes three-fourths right and you you sat through a few censure resolutions during your tenure, if I'm not at least, mistaken.
2: At least one censure and one
1: expulsion. One censure and one expulsion. The expulsion was Jim Trafficant. People will remember he always ended his speeches with, beam me up, Scotty. Yep. Right? And he had something on his head that-
2: For legitimate crimes. Yes.
1: It wasn't or, or his For <laughs> It wasn't for his two pay. all It wasn't for his toupee. It wasn't for
2: his toupee or, or
1: his <laughs> irreverence. Yeah. Right. Convicted on 10 counts of bribery and conspiracy. Uh, But then also I believe there was a censure resolution against uh, Charles Rangel for Uh, inappropriately uh, soliciting funds. No one will remember Charles Rangel for that. No. No. But it's a good thing to be on record here, I think. And I think it will be a good thing to put the Democrats in the space they need to be put on with regard to Israel and Rashida Tlaib. I think the Democrats need to take a stand here and show us who they are. The Republicans have been pretty clear.
2: No question about it. they're failing to show us who they are, and they're trying to escape the consequences of their position uh and their refusal to take a stand or a stance uh, and I think that's a problem, and I think a record i agree a record needs to be made uh so my position would be yes uh the individual involved may not uh view it as that big a deal; they tend to rationalize. Well, look, uh, you all do it, or uh, uh, some other version of that. And of course, there are some constituents back home who will compliment it and say, you know, good for you for badge you of honor. it, badge of honors. Yeah. yeah, for saying what you really believe. But uh, in this instance, when you have uh, an indoctrinated set of people in the country, apparently a lot of young people, and a growing number who don't get what is actually happening and who've been, I would argue, mind trained or or deceived into a set of beliefs. I think the record needs to be clear.
1: Yeah, and I think the Democratic Party has been playing footsie with this stuff for far too long in its Progressive Caucus, in its protections of AOC, in its protections of Ilhan Omar, in its protections for Sheeta Tlaib, in its protections of Jew hatred, frankly. I'm not using the word anti-Semitism anymore. It's too weak. I'm now calling it Jew hatred. I think it needs to be called by its proper name. And I think they've been getting away for it by playing footsie with this in their Progressive Caucus for too long. And I think you're right. Kellyanne Conway was on TV earlier today saying, you know, it's one thing to talk about the college students, but you hear this language in the halls of Congress now, too.
2: The thing that shocks me is the degree to which the Democrats get that you uh, have a an obligation to call it, I hate the word team, but to the team or to the uh, joint cause to stand together unless it's absolutely impossible. And you said... Uh, earlier, they will defend these people. They will defend them no matter what. They defend almost any conduct. I mean, there's virtually no limit uh, to what they will defend if the cause, and for them that's the leftist movement or the woke movement or the destruction of America or or the radical changing of America from what it once was or what it was founded upon. They just get it. Well, my leader tells me I got to do this, and by gosh, I do it. And and when I was there, the thing, one of the things that frustrated me was that many occasions when uh, we would not stand as unified. And people would talk about, well, Republicans think for themselves, and that's good, and it is good. I think we have much healthier debates on our side of the aisle. Um, but at the end of the day, I, um, when the chips are down and when it's about what ought to be core beliefs... They're without equal. They, they they will defend the left, and they will defend the radical left, or conduct that is just outrageous.
1: When did this start to take—well, when did it start to change, and when did you start to notice it in the Democratic Party, John? I mean, you always had your Ron Dellums types, but they were really quite almost exceptional. Um, most people weren't like that. They weren't of that far left bent. In the Democratic Party, Um, unless you think I'm mistaken, and I I will stand corrected. But it does seem something very dramatic changed. The Democratic Party would have had no problem in the 90s denouncing anti-Semitism. Now they just can't do it without adding every other organizational uh, belief and religion in there when we come back from and the isn't break, that shocking yeah it is okay so would you give us a little bit of when you started to notice this in the Democratic Party when we come right back sure thank you John Shattuck is my guest shouting and Associates is his uh, firm former congressman from Arizona delighted to have him here we'll be right back from John Conley to Johnny Cash I love it and now John Shattuck uh, welcome back uh, to the Seth Liebson show John Shattuck is my guest Just talking about the valences within the Democratic Party, John, and how things have shifted, it's been studied and shown now that there is an ideological shift in the Democratic Party. It has moved more leftward. This is indisputable. But when did you first start noticing it? Uh, You were, of course, on the right side of the Republican Party. I I, I mean that as a compliment. Uh, feel free to correct me with anything i say but
2: (laughs) (laughs) i have no desire or Uh, (laughs) interest in correcting that
1: comment. Uh, all right and uh, i mean you were the head of the rsc for a reason and um and and, you know there were always pushes and pulls in the republican party we were talking about 64 earlier the george romney bragged about walking out on barry goldwater's speech Uh, and of course reagan challenged a sitting president in jerry ford so we always had you know, as you were saying, a little bit more independent thought. The Democratic Party would have, in the 90s, I don't think it would have had a problem standing up against anti-Semitism and in support of the clear moral difference between a terrorist entity and the state of Israel. And that's, something changed there. Something bad happened.
2: Um, I don't know that I can put my finger on exactly when, but I do think it has been connected with the philosophical changes which have uh, occurred in Congress uh, kind of the cautioning of all of American society, uh, the decline of organized religion. Uh, I thought a little bit about well, is there a date you could put it, uh, connect it with? And a, a part of that would be, for example, the confirmation or non-confirmation of Robert Bork.
1: Eighty-six-ish, yeah, right, but, eighty-seven. But, yeah, but
2: it, it even then it didn't happen. I, I you know, I began serving in '95. And while there were some in 95 who would uh, say shocking things or or take consistently uh, angry liberal positions and make the attacks as personal as possible, I don't think the majority of their caucus uh, was comfortable with that. So I think it has happened over time and I think it has been relatively recently where uh, society has become more extreme uh, and the left has become more extreme. I don't think I don't think when I was in Congress in 19 from 1995 to 2010, uh, 2011, uh, I it wouldn't have occurred to me that Democrats hated America. I got it that they didn't view America the way I viewed America and they had some pretty surprising beliefs. But but I think we thought they were genuine in those beliefs and they were not uh, absolutely uh, motivated by contempt for the nation and its founders and its founding documents. Now, you know, you you listen to Mr. Levin say, Democrats hate America, and you go, yeah, sure, what's news? Uh it, it, it is something that has become accepted, and of course now you have more and more uh, extreme people being elected, and their extreme conduct being not just tolerated but now approved. Uh, yeah, that's fine. But, you know, we we, we're, we should have members that have those views, uh, and uh, it's I, I would put it in the. Early two thousands at the earliest. Yeah.
1: you're into it, it. It's interesting that you pegged it to the Robert Bork fight, um, because it's hard to remember such bitter language used against such an established figure in the legal universe. This was a professor yep. of Yale at, uh, of law at Yale, who was very well published in his field. Uh, he was a solicitor general of the United States. Uh, Even the person he fired came to testify for him and on his behalf uh, vis-a-vis – what was it called uh, during the Nixon years? The massacre, the Sunday night massacre. Sunday night massacre. um, And then you had Ted Kennedy standing up in the Senate saying Robert Bork's America is an America of back alley abortions and segregated lunch counters. And that was fine to say – I mean seemingly just fine. I mean the New York Times applauded that kind of sentiment, right? And – about about a man that, as I say, was one of the most respected figures in the legal universe because the Democrats just couldn't let that nomination fly. He was maybe too good or maybe too smart or um, maybe too Reagan-esque or too conservative for, um, for, for, for their taste, I suppose. But by what right did they have to use that kind of language of defamation against him? And maybe that Gave the permission. Maybe that was the the key that started that engine.
2: Maybe. It it seems to me that it, it has, to a degree, been linked to confirmation fights. Mm-hmm. Um, in the Clarence Thomas yeah. fight, All I right. was disgusted by right. a lot of the stuff was said, and it was simply not believable. And yet they mm-hmm. had no reticence whatsoever about doing it. And a part of my reaction to your explanation is— A kind of a simplistic because they could. So they borked Robert Bork because they could, which means that two things had happened. Uh, People weren't paying attention and weren't personally offended by it. But maybe more importantly, by then, the left, the media had plunged to the left Uh and they were willing to get it to to, to, uh, support that or to Either support that conduct, or at a minimum, to not call it out, and and I think that's a big shift. Uh, they had decided that uh, uh, criticizing people for uh, offensive language was improper. they are not allowed to do that.
1: I do recall when your class came into office in '95, January of '95, right? Um, I do remember that the language was pretty heated from certain precincts. I, I, I seem to recall, if, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, Charles, Charles Rangel, who I did speak of earlier, I seem to recall him saying something very close to this. Only the first part will be what I'm guessing at. The second part I remember verbatim. When Gingrich and his Republicans talk about welfare reform, those are the new white hoods. Uh, There was that language uh, from precincts in the Democratic Party, and that seemingly flew just fine, too. And it's carried up to today. To me, for example,
2: uh, some of the most shocking words I have ever heard in my life have come out of the mouth of uh, no one less than our current president, Mr. Mm -hmm. Biden. Yeah. Uh, He goes before an NAACP uh, audience and says – that Republicans want to put you, i.e. black people, back in chains. That, That is so stunningly over the top that I just can't get that speech or that incident out of my mind. It's just, you know, what on what basis could you say that that Republicans, you know, are there some segne- segregationist groups in in the country? Sure. It's mostly there, on the left
1: by the way, the segregation the way, movements yeah. in this country.
2: But in any event, yeah. to accuse the rep- all Republicans yeah. of wanting to put black people back in chains is just beyond the pale and and, and I he also stunned me in the speech uh, in front of Constitution Hall where they lit the walls red uh, and he said Th- the greatest to America are MAGA Republicans. Yeah. And I thought i never in my life had what I, I conceived that a president of the United States would say that close to half of the people in the country are right. evil uh, and want to destroy the country. That, I mean, I, I've never heard anything like that on the right.
1: Let me pick up on that when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Lipsen Show. We don't have cameras in the studio, but I sometimes look across the desk at my guest, John Shagg, to see if there's a knowing nod from the music of his youth—a little bit, little <laughs> yeah,
2: bit. High School, just
1: uh, yeah, take, two blocks from here. That song takes you right back. <laughs> yep. uh, John Shadick is my guest, Congressman Shadick. The syntactical uh, inflation. That is required because calling someone, I suppose, a racist or an existential threat isn't quite going to do it after it gets worn down because it's unbelievable, uncredible. So Joe Biden went from what you were saying at a speech in Constitution Hall to claiming against MAGA Republicans as a threat to this country, the greatest threat to this country. Then we got mega MAGA. Repo- MAGA Republicans wasn't doing it, so we had to go to mega MAGA. And, and before that, John, before that, just... A little bit before that speech, he had declaimed against Republicans as being the party of uh, Bull Connor and uh, Jefferson Davis and George Wallace. Now, you compare that with him saying that Mitt Romney wanted to put them back in chains. You just wonder if he even understands the history of the parties here. You know, Bull Connor and George Wallace and Jefferson Davis did have a political party. It was not Republican.
2: Oh, I think he Absolutely understands that, okay. but wants to deceive the American okay. people, and he wants to make the most shocking uh, allegation he can—the most uh, something that will startle people or that will stick in their minds. And were he to try to frame that language using the truth, he knows he can't. He just knows he can't, so he doesn't care. Uh, you know, he—it is that mindset that. You can redefine history and the left works hard at redefining history. And and who who was the Nazi uh, that the Nazi wordsmith who said uh, the oh, yeah. bigger right. or the more extreme the lie is, the more it will be believed. Yeah.
1: Well, I was uh, I was of the mind of David Duke for a moment just, John, because um I remember when he was making a quest uh, to run for serious office then president George H W Bush of his party basically read him out of the party and said we won't stand this 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 man does not represent our party and that that's something the democrats seem not to be able to do with the um with the uh extremists in their party um and certainly not today not today and There's this new thing. You know, when you were here last week, we had just uh, selected Mike Johnson to be the new Speaker of the House. Yep. And it has been interesting to watch. You had touted his speech that I had missed, and I went home and watched it. You said it was such a great speech, and I had missed it just from being on the air. And um, it was a great speech. It was such a decent speech. And he spoke of Democrats, some of them by name, in the House in a way that everyone laughed, including the people he was talking about, because it was just so disarming and so gentle or genteel.
2: He illustrated that you can be respectful and civil toward people you disagree with.
1: He did. And now the media has figured out how to get him. And it's all about far-right Christians. I was looking at a column today in the Washington Post today. Um, (laughs) Washington Post, here's a columnist. He is a Christian nationalist who believes that the United States is a Christian nation and does not believe in the so-called separation of church and state. In fact, he got right to work mixing church and state in his first speech after he won the speakership. Quote, I believe that Scripture— the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raises up those in authority. Oh, my gosh. Um, John Kennedy closed his inaugural by saying, uh, here on earth, God's work must be our own. It's a little stronger than what Johnson said, it seems to me.
2: But Johnson made it clear that that extended to everybody in the House. Course, he basically said to the Democrats, you're here because God wanted you here. Of course. Here. And, and and that That is disarming, uh, in part because in his case it was genuine. It's what he clearly believes. And the interesting thing is when they attack him for it, uh, like the author you just quoted, um, some people would react to that and let it bother them. My prediction is this guy is the real thing. And you'll say, well, I'm sorry you don't understand, but... It is true, and 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 not be bothered by it at all. Now they they have changed the society to where you know belief in God is you know so thin now that they'll continue to try to use his belief in God against him. Such an important point. But I think based on who he genuinely is, I'll predict right now
1: it's not going to work. You made a big and important point about where we are with belief in God and these are pro- let me pick up on this when we come back people who learned history about five minutes ago I'll <laughs> we'll be right back
2: <laughs> if then if then
1: <laughs> welcome back to the Seth Leapson show Congressman John Shattig is my guest we're talking just about the new um, attacks upon Mike Johnson's uh, who, uh, uh, the uh, newly inaugurated Speaker of the House and how they're trying to go after him Using this using his faith and his belief in God, there's a columnist in The Washington Post who got herself into high dungeon because he said, "I believe that scriptural the scripture of the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raises up those in authority, and I believe that God has ordained and allowed each one of us be brought here for this specific moment, and that he has um questioned the quote unquote so called separation of church and state close quote um." John, these people learned history five minutes ago. Uh, there's nothing Mike Johnson said about God that um, no other that, – that, that presidents of both parties haven't said for years. I, I mean we can start with George Washington, certainly Abraham Lincoln, and as I said, even John Kennedy uh, and God – Goodness knows, if if I'm allowed to say God knows, Uh, (laughs) Jimmy Carter was himself a Baptist minister. uh, 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 Yes, a Southern Baptist minister. Reagan, of course, all talked like this. And then this interesting thing where she's trying to go after him for questioning so-called separation of church and state, as if this is some great mantle of constitutional import. Um, It's no worry. The, 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 The phrase separation of church and state is not in the Bill of Rights. We have labored over the decades since 1940-something, 47, uh, in the Everson decision, when Hugo Black tried to say it was. It comes from one line and one letter of Thomas Jefferson's, and it's been misconstrued ever since. Uh, In any event, these people know no history, and they're writing as if they learned everything based on what they figured out five five minutes ago, never mind five years ago. And, and 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 I think you're right about Mike Johnson overcoming this. They can say all this, but they'll see that it's going to be very hard to put that man in that box. I think they're going to find it impossible to put him in that box because
2: at least to me, he, he didn't uh, preach it so much as exemplify it. And what I mean by that is He was willing to say to the Democrats, you know, you are here as much as I and my team, the Republicans, because you were called by God. And so he was willing to compliment those who would and will attack him uh, as a way of saying, this is my deep belief. Uh, And he didn't criticize anybody who didn't necessarily agree with him. He projected. I thought during the speech, two things that are hugely important, one. Is he projected a supreme belief in God that he was clearly totally comfortable with? I don't think anybody could embarrass that guy uh, on any Christian belief or any Judeo-Christian belief uh, in the world because he just he. This is what he believes, right or wrong. It's he's not a he's not a doubting Thomas. He's figured this out for at least for himself. The second thing he did is a lot of people who have that who've gotten to that point in life are not humble Mm -hmm. and american people do not like arrogant people i got a haircut today just before i drove here and this topic came up and i brought it up on the on on, i guess this gentleman said tell me again the name of the new speaker we started talking about him and he and i said you know i think he's very humble and and he he's not arrogant and i think in that speech he displayed that He's not arrogant. He you know, he did not look down on anyone, but he, he wouldn't look down on this reporter. Right now, if he, and I kind of hope he didn't read that particular column, but if he did, he wouldn't look down on her. He would just say, well, okay, you can think that, but that's not what I think. And I'm comfortable with what I think. The other thing is that they stretch. I, I don't know. I haven't read the article myself, but I don't know how she gets... Any criticism out of the concept of separation of church and speech from his remarks, a uh, church and state from his remarks, uh, he, he, he said nothing about we need church in school again or we need to return to Christian faith or uh, anything along those lines that would justify her throwing that point in uh, other than to say, hey, I happen to believe in X.
1: You um you, you were talking about our belief in God as a nation and how, you know, church attendance we've talked about has 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 been decimated down about thirty per, thirty to forty percent over the last ten, fifteen years. And maybe that's that's part of it too. People just don't realize that um Mike Johnson is saying nothing quite different than what Alexis de Tocqueville said when he said religion is the first of our political institutions. Or or even the liberal William O. Douglas, Supreme Court Justice, who said, "We are religious. We are a religious people whose institutions presuppose a supreme being," mm-hmm. and that kind of language, she would think, was coming from, I don't know, uh, Pat Robertson. <laughs> when it's <laughs> this, is, this is Alexis to Tocqueville to William O. Douglas,
2: pretty broad, yeah, pretty, pretty broad. widely accepted, yeah. Um, somebody said to me in the last twenty-four hours, or I read it somewhere, that uh, you know. We have all understood that Europe has become uh, a faithless or yep. uh, continent. Uh, somebody to meet today said, well, the real problem that Europe faces is it is becoming a Muslim uh, continent. And the Muslims don't have any doubt about the precepts of their faith. There's no self or the leader of no. their faith. Uh, and that's, I think, a part of the modern confrontation we have here is look You know, if we have no God and they have a deep belief in their God, how 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 does that world world. exist?
1: Yeah. And it's funny because maybe to some of them, they won't criticize Islam or radical Islamists on the left. But what they'll do is something quite. (laughs) I was going to say it's quite evil, but it's more than that. It's insidiously evil. They will say of conservative Republicans, they are of the Taliban wing. Of the Republican Party, that's how they'll do it. You know, they they'll see fundamentalism there that they won't criticize, but they will criticize Republicans, yeah, using that language, using that very. John Shattuck, it's always so good to see you, sir. Thank you for being with us. Great to be here.
2: Great fun. You
1: betcha. John Shattuck, former congressman and the founder and president of Shattuck and Associates. Do you trust this economy? How about a secure investment that actually helps people? You can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve where you are in control and you can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose. Think of that flexibility. There are absolutely no fees. You can have peace of mind. There's no attack on principle if you ever need your money back. You'll get your monthly statement with no surprises. It's a secure collateralized portfolio that may be a better option for you than where you have your money or some of your money now. We are, of course, talking about our sponsor, Y-Refi. Go to investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Y-Refi is local. Their offices are right on Chauncey Lane in North Phoenix. You can visit them. I've been there plenty of times. And... uh when you do, you'll you'll get no sales pitch, and you won't be asked to sign anything. Folks all over the country are earning a high fixed rate of return with Y-Refi, and they don't care about what happens with the stock market or the Fed, because with Y-Refi, you can do well by doing good. Check them out at YRefi.com. Make sure that um, you tell them Seth sent you. you. can also call them 888-Y-REFI-24, 888-Y-REFI-24. Well, you came in with the right version of Dream Lover. I understand there's a wrong version. The original isn't as good as the covers. I'm okay, so, I'm sorry. Okay. To that say. was
2: Dion and the Belmonts.
1: It, well, Dion DiMucci. I've interviewed him, and um, he's uh, he's a great talent. Uh, the Wanderer, Runaround Sue. Those are all great songs, right? Atlas, um, Abraham, Martin, and John. A little more contemplative, if you will. Um, yeah, no, I interviewed him because. Um, I read in an interview that he, as a recovering, uh, I think, alcoholic or addict, I don't remember which, himself, he spends his time helping others achieve a sobriety and maintain recovery. What a noble cause. Yeah, totally noble. And uh, Mother Teresa says, when you lose something, don't lose the lesson. And he's a, an embodiment of that. Uh, it was funny when I called him and for the interview, the way he kind of called back on the voicemail and didn't quite get leaps and just just exactly right you got it later it's kind of fun we have it taped somewhere um i've had a few great interviews like the last in you know who who, this is you'll like this young david just walking down memory lane i think i'm pretty sure actually i gave tony curtis his last interview i'm pretty sure I did. i'm pretty sure and if you want you can ask me tomorrow how that happened We'll have to. We'll okay. have to. All right. That's what they call a tease in That's radio, folks. That's a tease, yes. It would be interesting how many people remember who Tony Curtis is. Um, yes, thank you for being with us today, uh, Mr. Bill, young David, and Terry. God bless you all. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Leibson, and class is dismissed.